Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. It is a show in which we interview video game developers and ask them about their starting industry, what their influences are, and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they are here to promote. In this case, it is Frozen Endzone by Mode7Games. So here with me is Paul Taylor. Yes, uh, tell us about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, so as you so rightfully said, my name is Paul Taylor. Um, I'm one of the co-founders of Mode 7. And we started, well, we actually kind of started making games in 2002, but we weren't really a proper company until 2005. Um, and my job at Mode 7 really is to wear as many hats as uh, can physically fit on my ample brow. Um, I do music, sound design, writing. I do a bit of art direction. Um, I do some production. I do a little bit of single player design. Um and uh, yeah, I do all the PR and marketing for the company, all the business development. So I'm I'm a busy person. Um, but we're a, yeah we're a small indie team still, um, and uh, we kind of try and do as much as we can with a small amount of resources. Sound like a quite a renaissance person, sir. I've got to say, I mean to be able to <laughs> to, to I mean most developers I encounter go oh I did the I did the you know did the graphics and and uh, I did the gameplay the sound oh that was someone else that I can't I can't. So, yeah, we're, we're a little bit unusual in that respect. That the the business guy also writes the music, but um, that kind of <laughs> that kind of suits me. I've always been interested in different things, and I always, you know, once I've worked on one area for a long time, I always want to break and I want to use a different part of my brain. So this is pretty much the only job which <laughs> would satisfy that. So uh, yeah. I'm very happy and lucky to be doing what I'm doing. Well, that's what I say about people is that uh, video games, especially, is that it is an extraordinary medium in that it encompasses pretty much everything mm. to a greater or lesser degree depending on what sort of game you're making yeah absolutely so if you're making yeah. a game like proteus of course if indeed that is a game but that's a discussion for another time um <laughs> that is more to do with sound and experience and less about story although it's just kind of a story if you kind of read something into it um and it's it allows people like yourself like you say who have multiple talents of various degrees of excellence to to excel uh, in, in in this realm. So go you. <laughs> so how did you start making games? Because you said you started the company in 2002, but I presume you actually worked before then or... So basically, the company was founded by my very good friend, Ian Hardingham, who was someone that I knew actually from school. And we used to play games together. The first time I met him, I I hit him in the back of the head with the axe in Quake. Um, We were at a friend's house and it was the first time anyone had the Quake test. Um, I remember that. It was April... April time, 80, no, 96 of 96. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. Downloading it on a modem, which was ridiculous. Yes, it was It was definitely modem. It was one of the first, I mean, I tried a bit with Doom, but it was one of the first sort of multiplayer experiences I remember, actually. And yeah, we were at our friend Matt's house, and he, he went home to play Quake. Um, and we, we met there, and we spent a lot of our, our school years kind of hanging out and playing games together. Um, mostly me watching him play games, which was uh, kind of what we both enjoyed. So sort of forerunner of the, the Twitch era, uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, way back then. He had to be there in person to do that. Um, yeah, and he was making a kind of crazy multiplayer sword fighting game. Um, he studied computer science, and he'd done some work in the talk engine at university and he was like well i know how to use a game engine so i'll make a game so that was determinants our first game and i came in originally to do sound and music on that 
And as we went along, we sort of thought, well, we really need some structure to what we're doing and it would be cool to start a company. And I was interested in doing some marketing stuff um, and building up a company. So we decided to do that. And, and that's where we uh, where we started from, really. We added other people as we went. Sound and music, though, is it? How did you get into that specific sort of talent thing type? I'd always just done that myself. Um, when I was about 14, my dad bought a really horrendous MIDI keyboard, like a oh. Yamaha PRS 30 or something like that. And I, I started making music with that. And, and as happens to a lot of people, I just kind of, there were these sounds I couldn't get. I listened to the Prodigy quite a lot. And I thought, I want to sound like the Prodigy. And I couldn't really do that with my MIDI keyboard. So um, we just kind of built up equipment and knowledge from there. Read so a lot what, of magazines. You, you, you plugged an Atari ST into it or something? or It was a PC, actually. It was... Um, um, the right. sort of original, this is very nerdy, but the, the original version of Cubase with no audio for anyone that that means anything to. So it's just no, MIDI, no. just yeah. note data. You couldn't even... Oh, yeah, yeah. All, all, all the song, all the music was coming out of the machine, the, the actual... That's right, yeah, just yeah. out of the, the internal sound chip on this rubbish keyboard. Um, so from there, I kind of built up stuff. I you know, made friends with people who had more music equipment and uh, kind of just went along my way. And I, I always did various kinds of music. I, I performed in Oxford and London quite a lot when I was sort of 16, 17 doing electronic music and kind of carried that through with me to university as a, as a you know, hobby while I did my degree. Um, and uh, kind of went from there, really. That's great. I mean, I still listen to Orbital. Oh, yeah. It's good music to write to. Um, um, there's some music you just get into, like you know, I don't know, Alice in Chains or something. But when it comes to working music, I just, you know, Orbital. Wow, the last get, album wasn't brilliant, but it's okay. Yeah, I, 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 I like some of their stuff. I get um, a lot of tweets and emails from people who say that they they like the Frozen Sign Up soundtrack for programming too. They they find it quite sort of it engages part of their brain, but it's not too distracting. Um, and mm. I really really like that. I really like the idea that. I've written music that's kind of fueling other people doing cool, productive things. That's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. very good. Well done, you. Um, <laughs> again, so this is a big question. I love asking this one because I get various answers, and some of them squirm, go, oh, I don't know, stuff. Um, basically, what is what's the big thing that you always go to as regards to influences? What's the things you believe has influenced you most in your career? Um. I think certainly Ian would say that it's about making games that interest him fundamentally. And you'll hear a lot of indie developers say this. Like Frozen Synapse came about from him playing a lot of Laser Squad Nemesis with one of our friends on holiday and just thinking, ah, this game is great, but if only it was like this. You know, if only you could cut out the really long, boring setup sections and just get straight into the action. So right. that was one of the main motivations for making Frozen Synapse was just let's cut out the setup phase. Let's have a randomly generated situation that's fun and and just play that out. So right. I, think, I think for Ian, it's kind of it's very pragmatic. Um, I, I'd say that he's a more pragmatic designer than a lot of than a lot of people in terms of he'll have a combination of a, a feeling he wants to get mechanics wise and sort of usually a an aesthetic idea in his head and he'll just be about making that. I think I've just been watching indie game, the movie actually recently for the first time. And you see okay. the guys in that, they kind of take a very high concept approach to it. It's mm. about expressing facets of their personality and so on. And I think that's always going to be true in a creative endeavor, but I think for us and, and both me on, on the creative side of what I do, it's more goal oriented. It's like, I want to make this thing and I want it right. to feel this way. It's not necessarily about saying I feel this way and I want other people to feel that way. Both ways are valid. It's just 
you know, there, there are different ways to approach things. So your influence in is really just making better games. That's the thing mm. that drives you into making a game that actually is entertaining and engaging. Well, it's, it's, this is all sort of high concept, high level yeah. um, um, statements or descriptions without actually getting to the nitty gritty. And I think what, from what I get, when I first saw the screenshot of Frozen Synapse, I've been playing video games for decades now, and I thought, oh, yes, I remember seeing it. It looks a bit like early version of Rainbow Six from yeah. way back. And it's like, what do you mean? Like, when well, you do the setup and before you take the hostages, the what? Yeah. And this is like the very, very early, early version of that game. Oh, yeah, but you've actually, you know, distilled it down to the fun yeah. bit. Uh, whereas it was normally a execute. No, let's see if it well, that didn't work. Let's try this again. Um, so, excellent. Pushing on yep. to the next part, which is uh, related to the first question is who, if anyone, or any person, or any company, or anything, you find most admiration of? Uh, <laughs> what a question that is. Mm. Um, I think there's a, I'd say a variety of different influences. I mean, I'll go for some games ones first. Um, two, two of our sort of peers or groups of peers, really, that have really influenced us. I would say uh, Cliff Harris from Positech Games, who's a good friend of mine now. Nice. Um, he is someone that he made uh, gratuitous space battles, gratuitous oh, yes. battles. Yeah. Democracy yes. three, which is doing fantastically it's got well. A little bit of like wonderfully sort of piece of sense of humor. And in fact, I, yeah. I yeah. saw a tweet of his and he tried to advertise democracy. Three. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. He got ba- a banned got, advert. Yeah. He got a banned advert because it's politics. Yeah. It's some irony to that really, but uh, I, I'd say that, yeah, in terms of, he's someone that is very, um, open about stuff and, and will really help other developers and talk through stuff with them. And he has so much experience. He's been working in games, you know, forever and releasing indie games way before steam, way before all that stuff. Um, so he's definitely someone that's directly helped me, certainly in the way I think about, indie games as a business and how you balance the creative and commercial side of it um in terms of other other influences i think ian certainly would say that he's very influenced by kind of 90s game design things like bullfrog uh, magic carpet especially is kind of one of his favorite games and i think just that idea of a game being like a big gigantic box full of fun interesting things single player and multiplayer you know, really exploring a concept very fully. I yeah, think Magic Carpet was bonkers. I yeah, mean, it exactly. really was yeah. odd and had multiple, multiple levels of complexity. Yeah, which somehow seems to have left Mr. Molyneux behind. But uh, mm-hmm. um, anyway, um, so I mean, these, you say the influences, but I'm really asking: are these people you admire as well? Or yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think um, in terms of people that I admire specifically i'd say mike Morham from blizzard would be someone um right. i i saw him do a great keynote um at, at gdc in 2007 actually just kind of when we were really just getting started with determinants and, and getting that out there um and he, he was talking about how you how you make a games company and he was saying you know you can put the focus on quality you can put the focus on on the games and on the players and you know don't you don't have to be sort of cynical at a large corporate level, even at the size Blizzard is, you know, you can still really work on products and games that people love and have that creative motivation. And that was really inspiring to me to hear someone at that level say that, you know, Well, uh, look at Hearthstone. I mean, exactly. That's... Yeah. That's a perfect expression yeah. of, 
of that idea, you know, taking a small team to make a game that they wanted to make. Yeah. that people really love that's very fun you know um and uh yeah and I, I got a chance to have a very quick chat with him after that talk and i just found him to be you know really open and, and willing to talk to complete yeah. nobody from a sony company and, and sort of uh, appreciated my my comments and what he had to say so so i think definitely he would be someone that i that i look up to brilliant okay and this is a question ask last one and then we can talk about frozen end zone to mm. our heart's content but it's something I've always wanted to know because it, 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 I believe, it has implications to what you're making right now. Is that what are you playing other than your own game right now? And it can uh, be anything. It can be tabletop games as well. I always say that to people. I am. Um, I'm not actually a fan of tabletop games. I, I kind of. I. I had a. I think I had some bad experiences with them at school, just arguing over like how long a ruler was supposed to be in Blood Bowl. And stuff like that. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. you actually go. They're, they're not like that anymore. But you do, do carry on. Yeah. I know. I should. I should delve back in. Really. Um, yeah. yeah. In terms of what I'm playing, I'm playing Battlefield. Uh, I've just got a PS4, so that's kind of okay. that's actually my first experience with a Battlefield game, and I am. I am the worst. I'm the worst Battlefield player you yes. can possibly imagine. So I, you go running in, help yeah. one, and then die, and, yes. and then rinse, repeat. I bet whatever the equivalent of feeding is in Battlefield, yeah, yeah. I am that person. Oh, a nice Dota reference. Go you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always jump into the helicopter, then immediately crash it. I'm, no, I'm that guy. No. You don't. If I'm on your server, just just leave. You're the worst. Yeah, but but I. The thing is, the thing is, I. I'm actually starting to get into it now. I'm getting a little bit better. And, and just the idea of playing like this incredibly crazily high res game like that on a console. I know. You know and it just blows my mind. You know, I, I'm just kind of, I've seen a lot of the stuff people were saying sort of around the doom retrospective stuff that's happened this week and saying, you know, yes. how crazy is it that I could be in someone else's computer running around? I kind of feel like that with battlefield. How insane is it that we can have this level of graphics that there are people flying, you know, the people in the aircraft in the sky are actual people. Um, it's so crazy to me. So oh, yeah, I mean, just, yeah. I remember my first LAN experience wasn't Halo, although that's a different experience. Mm. Was actually when I was working in a place and they had CAD machines. So CAD machines back in 1992, 93 were amazing. Yeah, you know they had to be because they were CAD machines. So and we had a four-player Doom matches and lunchtime mm. and in the evenings. Wow! And I remember doing my first telefrag. Like, how, do, <laughs> how did you die? So, well, you followed me in, or that someone I followed you in, and you, I died, and because I mistimed it, and we freaked out that you could die by teleportation. I mean, you yes. know, after yeah. you, all the years of watching Star Trek, I think no one dies in teleport. Well, I do in Doom. Because it's <laughs> Doom. Um, but to, to think that the mere transportation could kill you yes. made us uh, was much. And then we spent hours trying to do it over and over again, and much fun was had. But yeah, the, my first experience with Battlefield was 1942, um, playing that and just realising that the bloke in the tank, or the tank firing at me, was someone else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, people are so used to this now, and it, it, but but I think if you've grown up, you know, a little bit before that era, it's yeah. still slightly magical. Um, yeah. So I've been playing a lot of that. Uh, I've played a lot of games. I've uh, been an IGF um judge this year okay it's been an interesting experience i've played a lot a lot of games for that 
Um, and that's just been a really interesting window into what a lot of indie developers are doing. Mm. The, the level of stuff now is just kind of terrifying. And it's just, I mean, one of the reasons I haven't got a Lickstone console, no criticism against you, sir, please. Right. Uh, it's just that my mountain of shame is so huge. Yes, absolutely. It's yeah. massive. Uh, it's got, you know, I've got Sherpas people guiding people up and down <laughs> it for, for charity. It's so bad. And I thought, well, I can't justify it. I can't. I've got so many games to play. Mm. And I must stop playing Dota. That <laughs> that doesn't help. So yeah. it's just it's just stopped me from doing it. And you know what you're telling me here is just the, the quality and the mountain of games out there. I mean, yeah. this year Gone Home for me was just oh yeah. I didn't know where, where when I finished it. I didn't know where to. I was like, what, what was that? That just went, that broke every rule in the book. Yet it was still fun. I honestly think that's one of the most important games that's ever been made. I mean, yeah. I really I really would put it at that level. Um, it just shows what you can do with story and atmosphere in a completely new way that no one's ever done before. And it tricks you. I mean, I don't want to give yeah. them spoilers, but it tricks you. And like, because it, it builds on the tropes that we've been conditioned for for the past 40 years. And yeah. I do mean 40 years. People forget that. But, you know, I've been playing games since 76, and so is my age. And this is like, yeah, it's, I've seen some amazing stuff. Really, and some stuff that people talk about, oh, it's news that actually, no, that was existed way back when but even still it gets you know like all media like all art you know it's there's only four or five stories it just gets told in a different way in a unique way mm. and what gone home does is actually play on that yeah. so so well to the point where i actually well i won't say anymore but <laughs> something happened in it went oh oh no so yeah the, the one thing i'd say about that game is that if you are slightly turned off by what might be perceptibly the more pretentious end of that kind of narrative experimental spectrum. Like even if you didn't like, for example, Dear Esther, which I did like, but you know, if you're turned off by that, yeah. still try and play Gone Home yes. because it will it will resonate with you in a different way. Yes. It's it's just so sophisticated, and yeah. I think you know some people won't won't get it, but I'd I'd say most most people who play games who like to think about games in any way will get something out of that. Yeah, a friend of mine loathed the Esther. Yeah. Passion. Uh, but really, really liked Gone Home. He was, he was, yeah. his eyes were bulging with joy <laughs> when he was de- describing it. It was like, you know, yin and yang. And I think we, we did call him out and saying, hang on. <laughs> he goes, it, no, it's, you can't, they're not the same. And then he went on big. It's story. funny. They are broadly the same genre, but they couldn't really be more different in terms of, you know, Gone Home is a very involving game and Dear Esther is kind of about alienating you and keeping you at a distance a lot of the time. And it, it just it's sort of your your specific aesthetic tastes will really dictate, you know, whether you whether you go for either one of those games really. But both fantastic and very interesting to see that side of games opening up a bit. Um I think I think we need some new areas that people can work in proteus as well sort of interesting contribution to yeah people say oh, yeah people I do hear people go no there's no point to this uh, no you're not you're not experiencing it well yeah. there's stones that make sounds have you seen those like, what <laughs> yeah follow the stones and you hear a tune what and then yeah. and yeah. then it's just lovely and this is castles that transport you across the island wonderful yeah. stuff um but Yes, I mean, for speaking to myself, if I may, I'm currently playing the new Zelda game on the 3DS. Oh, yeah. That's, 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 if you like Zeldas, um, not not everyone does, but it's, it's exquisite. This game is, 
very well put together. But what's interesting in this particular game is it's not a lot of hand-holding. Right. It assumes that this is a Zelda game. You know this, right? Yeah, there you go. Off you go, then. There's <laughs> just no explanation. Nothing. You're just like, oh, off you go. Kind of Zelda refreshing, game. I guess. And Zelda was always sort of on some level about being quite hard. It is. So, it yeah. Is. It is. Yeah. The, you need your, your, your reflexes need to be quite, quite high to actually get it to... It's not a platform. It's something else. Yeah. There's like little puzzle elements that require you not so much. You, you know what to do. You just got to be good enough to do it or fast mm. enough to do it. Um, but no, it, it's really refreshing to have that experience of, yeah, don't worry. You know, you know, this is Zelda game, right? Yeah. Off you go. Have fun. So it's very odd for Nintendo to do that, especially when recent years they were banging on about bringing in new new audiences and they go and release this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, Nintendo have got such an interesting balance of things that they do with their franchises and it is quite nice to see them going a bit more gamey again and going in that direction uh i i think i think there's sort of a little bit of tension within nintendo about how how much they dumb things down quote unquote because i think you know they've had mixed results with that in the past i would say so uh, it must be an interesting time for them well okay well that's the end of the first part let's move on to the second half of the show where we talk about frozen enzo about frozen enzo what is this game what's it about and where are we where are we standing with its release etc etc frozen enzo is a simultaneous turn-based brutal tactical future sport so if you haven't encountered it yet think of something like speedball but with the mechanics of like a tactical turn-based shooter um, you basically just have to get the ball into your opponent's end zone through some randomly generated terrain. And you make a plan to do that. Your opponent makes a plan to stop you and your plans play out at the same time. Very similar to our previous game, Frozen Synapse. Um, yeah, so it's a game of sort of territory, blocking, bluffing, trying to outwit your opponent. Uh, and right now we just launched the beta. So you can get hold of that if you pre-order the game from FrozenEndZone.com. You get two copies of the beta, one for you, one for a friend, and you can start playing right away. Um, what format is on, just to be clear? Cause it is currently only on PC at right. launch. It should, it will definitely be That's on PC. Windows, yeah? <laughs> That's correct, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I've gone into trouble for that one before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, I don't have the Linux community, enough. sorry. sorry. I don't yes, have Windows. one either. I've, been, I've, got, I've got enough computers to make one, I just haven't got around to doing it. Yes. Yeah. Um, but so, yes. yes. Windows, Windows right now, uh, Mac definitely at launch, and Linux hopefully at launch. We are actually actively working on the Linux version right now, so uh, that'll give you an idea. And maybe iPad, I'd like to do iPad again. The iPad version of Frozen Synapse went well, so if we can do it, a bit more performance intensive than Frozen Synapse, so we'll see if it's possible. Um, yeah, and things are going pretty well. We're targeting sort of February next year for another big release, which will put the game onto Steam Early Access and add a load more features, including variable player stats, which is something people keep harping on about. That is coming. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's an exciting time for us launching basically, you know, the new game for the first time. Um, and f- final release, full version, will be, we're hoping for sort of November time 2014. 
So a bit of a while to go yet. See, you've answered question five. Why do you do ah. that? Why did... <laughs> You're the worst. I'm kidding. You'll have to think of a new one on the fly. <laughs> Things could get dramatic. Which, which I've been doing anyway. Um, so I first encountered in this, this game at Eurogamer Expo this year. Um, took me by surprise. I thought, hang on. Frozen... Not Synapse 2. No, this is completely different. Oh, no. This is sports with robots, mm. which, you know, always good. Um, so <laughs> what intrigued me about this game is it the setup of it. You have two two teams, a blue and a red, typically. Uh, and it's basically kind of like an American football game with much less players and a lot less complexity. Hmm. and that you have uh, a whole raft of obstacles on the pitch, and um, you have, correct me if I'm wrong, remember if I'm correct, three plays to get the ball to the end zone. Is that right? Um, well, it, yeah, it kind, of, it, it kind of varies. So the turns hmm. can break at different times, um, but basically you're effective, you effectively have one attempt to get the ball to the end zone and that can be divided into turns depending on what you do so for example if you throw the ball the turn will break in the middle of your throw to give your opponent time to react mm-hmm. um with frozen synapse the turns were you know literally five seconds long each time it didn't matter what you do but with mm-hmm. this game it's it's sort of you can actually tactically use the turn length for example in the first turn the turn ends when you pick up the ball the ball starts in a sort of fairly arbitrary place near one of the teams so if you actually wait to pick up the ball you can give yourself more time to move around but you also give your opponent more time to kind of catch up with you maybe steal the ball maybe you know put pressure on your ball carrier so yeah turn lengths are an important facet of, of end zone and uh, we've people have responded very well to that actually i didn't quite know if people would be able to figure that out but it happens quite organically um you can test your plan uh, at any time to see you know what might happen and what your opponent might do and, and during that test you can see where the turn would break so i think that gives you a, an opportunity to kind of figure things out a bit so that's the key isn't it the whole game is that you lay out a plan and hope it executes you have no control of when you hit play, it just off yeah. it goes and see if it works, and you can see how the other players react as well. So that both players are playing, put, creating their their plays at the same time. Is that right? That's that's correct. Yeah. So and then you players, yeah. and then you say you're ready, and then wait till the other players until they're ready, and then execute. That's right. Okay. So how does that work when you're playing a single player experience? Is the AI taking over? doing their bit and just responding to you and your, your, your actions in, in kind. Is that right? Yeah. So the way that the AI works both in Frozen Science and Frozen Endzone is that it will start kind of calculating the possibilities of what you can do. Um, the, the AI in Frozen Endzone actually works in a slightly different way, which is not, not particularly interesting for this purposes of this conversation. But um, it yeah, it, it's basically just the same. Um, you are making your turn and then you press prime and your turn will happen at the same time as the AI's turn. Um, and basically, I mean, creating competitive AI for a game like this is pretty difficult. And it's something that we kind of ref- refine all the time. And as we get further into single player development, you know, we really try and make a balance between something that's fun to play against and something that kind of gives you a good challenge. So, um, so yeah, but you, there is AI in the current beta. You can play skirmishes against it. So you can get a feel for the kind of thing that we're going for. Yeah, it's... It's difficult to, to chat about AI stuff about getting into ones and zeros, which no one wants. Uh, <laughs> but um, what intrigued me uh, about the game, or about your 
your philosophy about your company is there seems to be a heavy push for multiplayer experience. Is this something that, because uh, Synapse certainly was a multiplayer game more than it was single player, I think. Although there's lots and lots and lots of missions. 55 to be total. That's uh, yeah. Good stat. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, but is, this some, is that a philosophy that, the, that Mode 7 pursues? Is it always pursued? Um, so far, the way that Ian has wanted to design is to design, you know, competitively. So he wants to make game mechanics that two people can play. And he, we have a level designer and tester, um, Robin Bin Cox. And Ian and Bin play the game against each other forever like they play so many matches of prototypes every iteration that ian makes they play they play play and that's how the game mechanics evolve and then single player is really about taking those mechanics and then trying to do something really interesting with them so i guess that that does make our game sort of multiplayer focused but also i kind of think that that's quite a good basis for single player um and it it, single player is a lot about single player is more of a roller coaster than multiplayer you're trying to sort of throw interesting things at the player all the time and that's something that once you have core mechanics that are interesting a lot of single player is about atmosphere and presentation and i think as long as you have solid mechanics then there's a lot you can do with it so although i kind of take your point that we are multiplayer focused in some ways Mm. um, we really put a lot into single player as well and and perhaps think about it a little bit differently from from other companies and we may do a single player only game in the future or a primarily single player game there have been some design ideas that that you know have been kicked around that kind of go that way um so we'll just have to see yeah it's just something i'm sort of feeding off what you said earlier about you first experiencing games by playing quake test uh with your with your friends and thinking maybe that was sort of spawned from that but it sounds like it's more to do with the ian your, your partner there um yeah. sort of focusing on he the, the way developing games as far as he's concerned and you're concerned by the sounds of things is we should play we should make games with each other yeah we you know we should make games that are interactive with other human beings rather than a series of switches <laughs> yeah i think so and, and also it's kind of that response to another person i think can be a more direct way of doing design single player is this really weird you know it's very fly by wire it's very you know you're very disconnected from the actual experience that the person's going to have because if you make a single player level and play it once you're suddenly in a completely different position from the player and i think some people find that kind of design easier and they favor that and and Mm -hmm. it's very much not that way um it's something that i I find a bit easier i kind of mentioned at, at the offset that i get a little bit more involved with the design side when it comes to the sort of the micro expression of the single player so Ian will do the you know the big macro design and then robin will do the level design but i'll be there kind of working on the flow of the game you know the 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 order of levels in frozen signups was something that i was responsible for um (laughs) not that i got that completely right as i'm sure some of our community will tell you but uh yeah it's they're very different facets of design i think and favor different personalities so one of the strengths of synapse and indeed um endzone i feel is how you portray the action of the game after the plays or strategies have been laid out. Mm. Um, I think, is that a constant, is that something you put a lot of effort into to make sure that there is some visual and audible, audible reward for the player 
for doing that work for for getting doing that right well this is something that's massively important to endzone i mean one of the the first things we were talking about with endzone is like how can we make outcomes better because Mm. frozen synapse is very cool it's a very literal game so you're kind of the ui is the game effectively yeah um and we wanted to that has advantages obviously you know it's it's very direct and it enables you to plan in a certain way but we were thinking about end zone we wanted to make it more of a game about reading your opponent than about sort of specifically picking out which pixel you're going to aim at um and that kind of led to once we have that information how can we interpret it in a cool way how can we make something that's you know really really dynamic so We've got stuff like an animation system that can interpret the plans and choose the right animations, you know, based on the shape of the plans. You, you get you get information in advance, and that's something that, that no other action game really does. Um, you know, you have to calculate everything in real time. The player might suddenly want to change direction midway through running, and then you have to interrupt the run animation. And with this, we know when the player is going to change direction. So we try and use those advantages to make something that that is you know nicely presented and also i think that there's so much you can do with with turn-based gaming in that regard like you can you can do almost anything with an outcome um so it's just something we're starting to explore and we feel pretty pretty good in that space because i think a lot of a lot of companies really don't take advantage of that if you look at the way a lot of other turn-based games work i don't think they really make the most of their outcomes you there's a lot of stuff particularly non-simultaneous turn-based games where you have like a dude standing outside a door and then another dude will walk up stand next to him and repeatedly shoot him in the head while he's static um in a turn-based game that's just always going to look stupid whereas with simultaneous turn-based you have quite natural action going on so um so yeah it's something that we're we're definitely interested in and we want to kind of explore more yeah i think if you look at final fantasy tactics that gets it quite okay i think games like you know um Valkyrie Chronicles, I think, does a good job as well. Um, and also, I'm trying to think of others as well, like Might of Magic later ones. Right. Okay, um, almost. So certainly later ones, they get their animations and you get you get visual rewards for actually pulling off some ridiculous sure. stunt. Sure. Because the risk-reward thing does exist very much in turn-based, but it's a much in a different way. You know, you, you actually expose yourself thinking... Is he gonna? Is that other player gonna see that? Are mm. they gonna see what I've done? Is um, you know potentially stupid, but the the end will actually justify the means. Yeah, but sometimes that doesn't work. Um, my my biggest failing with with most of these games is I'm very much a reactive player. Um, mm. This 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 kills me off in board games as well. Like oh shiny, and I go get <laughs> something or do something, and people go. Why are you doing that? That's not helping you. Yes, yes but yeah. I've got a pig. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that, that's my problem. Certainly my problem when playing StarCraft as well is that I yeah. kind of, you know, you, you sort of, what, the right way to play StarCraft is to have a plan and execute the plan. But I'm always like, oh, he didn't make a bunker. I could just make a <laughs> hundred marauders and win. And that's just not, no. no or oh, oh, the worst is you chase the tech tree. Yes. You go yeah. down. You go charging down the tech tree at the expense of everything else. It's like the other. That's like the other problem. It's like I want to have a battle cruiser, so I shall get one. And yes. That's, you know that's that's sort of yeah the opposite problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think you know just trying to bring it out from you, and also my own observation of the game, the limited time I've had with the game, is that um, is the fact that you are visually and audibly rewarded. For your, for your actions, or indeed, 
in action. Yeah. <laughs> because yes. sometimes not doing anything is the best action. That's right. It's quite a Zen game. It's a, a yeah. lot about stillness. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's faint. It's, it's faint. Yes. It's like a faint. Like, uh, I'm not actually going to do anything with that bloke over there. Just ignore him. He's not doing anything. Just, yeah. it's all right. He's not. And all of a sudden, the ball goes whizzing right across the field and he catches it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that person I said don't ignore, you might want to take notice of him now. <laughs> yes. He's going to go running down the field on the west flank and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, I, th- I think um, one, of the, one of the things that I like about Endzone sort of design-wise is that if you don't know what to do, sometimes finding a, a sensible thing to do mm. is actually, it actually works. And I think in Synapse, Synapse is such a hardcore game in some ways. Like, mm. if you don't do the perfect thing with every player, you will lose uh, to right. a good player. And, and, and Endzone is very much like, the, the idea that was around it was, was sort of more like, if you get the general idea right um then then you'll you'll be okay i mean having said that there is micro in end zone you know there's there's the time you know the specific time you choose to stop running and start blocking is very important in a lot of situations so you have to have that and all competitive games will come down to this granular level of competition eventually there's no way of stopping that but equally i think end zone is a little bit more natural and, and readable in some ways than uh, than synapse so there's another point i want to ask about the beta release that you've got and the mm. pre-order, this early release stuff that's happening recently. Um, obviously, you've got an opinion about it because you've done it. <laughs> how how are you? How are you finding it? I mean, um, because I believe it's a two-edged sword for us on the media side. For how do we cover these? Because yeah, yeah. It's not, they're not really previews because the game's not really finished, and it's not fair. Mm. Uh, there's another game I've recently got uh, access to, and. It's pretty much unplayable. I'm not yeah. going to mention it because it's not fair on them. But it really, it's, it's just, there are basically characters in it that have no torsos. So right. they're walking yeah. around with arms and legs, yeah. no torso. And also, the, 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 there's textures that aren't there. <laughs> it's just, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't think this should be out, and out, out in the wild in any form. Um, so what's, what's, your, what's your take on it? Obviously, you've, Players yeah. have to be careful. And as you said earlier, the game's very much more expensive to develop, so that's one of the drivers of you doing it. And it's yeah. either this or crowdfunding, so I suspect. Yes. So is, is that why you've taken this tack? Yeah, yes. I mean, the reason that we've decided to release the, the pre-order is, is sort of twofold, really. It's to get... You, you only get a certain level of feedback from actual paying customers in the game. Um, and that's very different from a kind of open beta. So having paying customers in there, giving you feedback, you know, who are invested in the game is massively valuable as a developer. And of course, yes, there is just the practical nature of it. We need to get some money in now, you know, from the eventual sales. I think I'll talk about our response to it first. Um, it's a bit of a complicated one, really, because we put an enormous amount of time and effort into things like trying to make sure the game is stable, trying to make sure servers work, trying to make sure that there aren't any horrific game-breaking bugs. Now, there are going to be some of those because it's a beta and you can't you know, eliminate that at this stage. So it does really disappoint me when I see developers who are putting something out that is ostensibly late stage. It's fine to put out alphas, call it an alpha, give it a low version number, explain what it is. That's fine. But I think there are some people who are somewhat taking advantage of the gaming public's desire to get into something early and 
you know, experience new things, exciting ideas. I feel like that's something that we all have to be very careful with because it it affects everyone. And you've certainly seen things like Steam Early Access. I think some of the things that have been put on there are frankly ridiculous and do not respect the audience that that gives you. It's hard for us to, you and I, talk about this without getting specifics and then we get in trouble. But you're right. There is some exploitative nature going on out there. I'm not, you know, I'm not interested in calling anyone out. And and it's it's, uh, people can make their own judgments about whether they think things fall into this category or not. Like you say, it's not, it's not interesting. And I I don't, I don't like that kind of direct. No, finger pointing, but but everyone knows. And it's relative because some people might think, no, I want to be engaged with this, this game. I want to help them develop it. And that's exactly. great. Yeah, and um, you might look at our game and say it's too early and whatever, and yes. that's you know that's fine. I think, However, yeah. yeah. So so there's that. I wish people would would respect that a bit, a bit more in general. Um, but that you know that's clearly not going to happen. So that leaves the problem that you just mentioned, which is how do the media cover stuff? Mm. And we've certainly seen a huge difference in reactions from the Frozen Synapse beta to this one. I think. You know, there's stuff coming out that's very fully featured, which is called a beta, like Starbound, for example. That game is and Hearthstone much further along than you know we've put our. Yeah, beta. the Hearthstone stuff. I believe they call it beta because they mm. don't know what to make of it because they know it's going to morph and morph and morph, right? Exactly. And change. And yeah. I think they're saying, "Oh well, we keep on adding content to it." So content isn't the same as beta, now, is it? Yes. Content is just adding stuff to. It's just adding cards. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, so, if they're actually modifying the gameplay, which is what you're doing, you there's all, yeah, there's, day, exactly. You know? There's all these semantic problems, right? And beta, you know, to 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 you and I, that 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 definitely means something that is playable and potentially feature complete in certain ways, but yeah. doesn't have the polish, doesn't have all the features, and have all the bells and whistles. You know, it's, it's a difficult definition. I think the, the definition is morphing over time. And that leaves that leaves the media with a difficult proposition, especially if something's on sale, because they kind of want to judge it as a product at the time and also say, you know, what's the potential? So I've seen a variety of different reactions and, it, and I, it's not an enviable job, really. Um, no. I think you just have to come up with a clear approach to it and sort of stick to that so that people know what the expectations are. It's a vicious circle for us because, like, well, we can't preview it, but you know, for for the benefit of the developer and the audience, they need to know about this game that exists, it's out there. And there's also a consumer rights sort of issue. That, you know, well, we have to protect the consumer here. We're here to to help them. It's one of the uh, one of our jobs. So to 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 ignore it was also folly. So it's yeah. a difficult one. I think we have to be transparent about it on both sides. Yeah, so, I, I, look, think, I think yeah. the only yeah the only you know right approach really is just to have an honest reaction to it and say yeah. do i or don't i like this now what do i or don't i think is likely to happen in the future and i suppose if you don't know the devs and you don't know their track record that's pretty difficult mm-hmm. um so it's a difficult thing for everyone but having said that like i said the, the benefits of getting some funding in early so that we can offset some costs and roughly plan out you know what can we because you can add things to a game forever um so you've got to start cutting at some point so it gives us some context for that if this had been you know a prison architect and had made five million dollars in the first three days we might do something different than you know (laughs) what it has done which is sort of the normal result we would expect for a beta so there's all it gives you more flexibility as a small company you can scale to what you think Mm. 
game is going to be like. At the same time, there's loads of things that you want to do and that you want to put into the game anyway, so you just go ahead and do those things. So it is a complex thing and difficult to react to it. But like I said, I mean, we've been happy with this. The the feedback of people who are playing right now is generally very, very good. Um, And people playing it quite competitively already which is fantastic to see. So I, I feel like we've done our job there in terms of delivering something that works right now, but also has the potential, you know, to be great when it's finished. Yeah, awesome. Well, I was going to sign off with a thing about free to play, but I think that's been talked to death. <laughs> and I was going to ask jokingly, so no special hats for robots in your game, but huh, that joke's been done to death. <laughs> you know, we're not ruling out hats. I mean, obviously, <laughs> our uh, our approach is we are making a game that you buy for a price, and we want to deliver the maximum amount of entertainment features. We want to make something that's single player, multiplayer is a huge experience for that price. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to add things later on. Potentially, we did it with Frozen Synapse. We released Frozen Synapse Red, which was oh. the uh, the expansion pack, and uh, you know. If people want to buy extra content for a game, that's fine, and you should respond to that and make it. I, I don't have a problem with DLC, and I think you know a lot of a lot of gamers now kind of understand what that is. But primarily, you know, our job is to deliver a great package for that price um, and respect the fact that people are paying, you know, twenty five dollars for an indie game. Some people think that's a high price, so we've got to respect that. But it's worth it because it's fun. that's that's what we hope it boils down to at the end of the day um yeah so we're we're very motivated to like to make something that 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 works and and that's kind of our games buying heritage you know you went to the shop you bought the box in the box was loads of cool stuff and we want to do that in a digital way oh yes what are we going to do without the cloth mats Um, exactly it's a digital equivalent of cloth mats not necessarily like doodads and stuff but you know make make the game full of interesting stuff that's what we tried from monkey island what would we do yes, yes. <laughs> um so paul thank you so much for your time um really, really appreciate it um so the game just to recap again i know you said this already it's out gonna be it's out on the pc with yep. yes yeah, <laughs> eventually it will go to um uh, linux and mac is that right that is correct yes right. and then possibly on iOS tablet device, possibly on tablets again. We'll we'll have to see. I'm always cagey about that. It's it's kind of a difficult market, and you've got to judge it right and figure Especially out how. Now. It's a bit, yes, yeah. It's yeah. weird now. I mean, I've got a 5s. Just got recently got an iPhone 5s. My yeah. first iPhone. Previous to that, I was um, had a Windows phone, then an Android phone, and I thought, fine, I'll get a phone that actually has apps on it. All right, I give in. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think playing the game you know this it would work on these devices mm. whether there's a market for it that's the question you've got to ask yourself yeah i mean it, it's certainly it, it's there definitely is a market for it. it it's just a question of like how can you address that and how you know can you do it for a sensible cost mm. um because it's it's not like steam well, uh, you know uh, you, you can't just kind of put a game on there and if you get good reviews and enough attention around it it'll do well it doesn't really work like that you can get all the reviews in the world on ios and if it's not timed right it's not priced right and it's not presented right it will just die yeah so, um, uh, well look at xcom yeah they sold that for twenty dollars yes yeah twenty dollars on yeah. ios I think it did okay. I don't know. But I'd like to know how it did, actually. I'm yeah, to something to, to dig into. But it's a, 
correlation between what you've made because that's a turn-based experience, very much so. And yes. that does get the reward thing right. There's yeah. a game that's a good example of it. You know, when you take down an enemy, it looks fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And that's the sort of thing you've got in, in end zone as well. When you do it despite the ball in the end zone, much, much applaud is had. <laughs> that's the plan. <laughs> All right. So if you want to get in contact with us about the show, you can write to us at tsf at spong.com. We can leave us a review on iTunes. That'll be grand. So do stick around for us next time on the show I believe we have the people behind Zen Pinball next week so do check that out thanks so much again Paul Taylor thank you bye bye